Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an ass scene on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there. My name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is a, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, one of those, AKA the strategy man. And if I'm gonna describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need from leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobsled team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgoff, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what 
makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Welcome. I'm Dolph Barron. I am the Dragonist. And I am your host here on Curiosity Bites. You can find out more about me and how to hire me as a speaker or strategist for your organization or for yourself by going to DoveBaron.com. This episode of Curiosity Bites is brought to you in part by Magcast. Imagine having your own industry magazine. What would that do for your authority? Whether you're a coach, a content expert, or an emerging brand, it's hard to stand out from the crowd. So what can you do to make you a, a proven way that will increase both your perceived authority and professional status in the eyes of your market? And do so all at once. Well, this is your way to go from invisible to getting meetings with anyone. To find out more, go to magcast.co. That's M-A-G-C-A-S-T.co, where first-time publishers create thriving magazine businesses. That's magcast.co. All right, so here's what I'm curious about. You ever found yourself sort of stuck for words and then remembering that song that seemed to capture the sentiment of what you were trying to say? Uh, it seems as if the ether pulled a, a song to your mind. You know, you know the saying, right? Music is the universal language. Um, and that might be a cool turn of phrase, but it, it's more than that. It's a science. A recent Harvard University study proved it, that we all, we've all heard the saying that uh, word, when words fail us, music speaks. Well, that's what the latest research from Harvard University showed, that music carries a set of unique codes and patterns, which are, in fact, universally understood. It was cut, the, the study was done by the university's uh, science department, and the aim of the study was to discover the, the universality and diversity of human song. So it's a pretty fascinating thing, right? So here's what I'm curious about. What is music? What are its origins? And in the words of Don McLean, can music save your moral soul? Well, <laughs> we're about to embark on an adventure with somebody who has been exploring music in ways most others never even consider. My guest on this show is Victor Wooten. He is a five-time Grammy award-winning musician, a founding member of the supergroup Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. He is the author of a groundbreaking novel called The Music Lesson. His second book, Spirit, The Spirit of Music, is due for release in 2020. Victor Wooten is listed by the Huffington Post as one of the 50 iconic black trailblazers who represent each state in America. Victor represents his birth state, which is Idaho. Uh, and by the way, this guy is no potato. In fact, Victor has been heralded as the Michael Jordan of bass and one of the most fearless mus musicians on the planet. On the planet, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and help me welcome Valentine W. Wooten. I'm glad you're here, mate. Thank you. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. I love doing this show. It's a, it's a really cool show for me to do because I get to have amazing conversations with amazing individuals. So, but I always like to start this show with this one question. What do you presently find yourself most curious about? 
Um, most curious about is wow is is that's a curious question because there there are so many things there are so many things that I'm curious about this this particular time in our lives which for people you know our age our generation we've never been through anything quite like this nope. so uh, curious about what it means if there is a meaning who am I in response to it Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who, who am I, um, uh, you know, I, I get introduced as a musician and all these things, but those things are what I do. Yes. You know, uh, besides what I do, who, who am I, you know, I have a family, you know, I, I haven't been home like this in over 30 years. So there's a lot of, a lot of curious, curious things. And now we have, because we have this time. I think we're all curious about a lot of things because mm. we have the time to look at it. And I, you know, I can't be preparing for a tour or, or a teaching lecture or whatever. I just have time to, to be curious. So to what, what I'm most curious about is a good question, mm-hmm. but I can tell you a lot of things that I am curious about. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting. I mean, I do believe that I've said that to many people recently that I think that COVID the pandemic um, was a, um, a pause, a pause that gave us chance to reevaluate our values, which most of us say we have, but we don't live by. And COVID said, okay, you ain't going anywhere. I sit down and you're going to have to really discover whether you have any integrity with your values or not. And as a result, I mean, I can feel the pain of it because I know that some people are living in marriages that they actually hate and they were able to pretend they didn't because they could go to work and escape and now they can't or they're, you know, in situations that are intolerable, but they tolerated them because they could distract themselves. Mm -hmm. They were in jobs that were intolerable, but now that they're working remotely, they're going, actually, I kind of hate that place and it sucks and I'm not going back. So I think a lot of it has been a values reset, which is one of the things that I think is so, so powerful about it. Yeah. But you said something that even in your in your first answer, which is when people introduce you, they introduce you as a musician because that is what you do. But that's not who you are. Right. So so and you said, you know, you're a husband, you're a dad. But tell us a little bit more about who you are in the in that sense of not just the music, musician, because People in the music world know who Victor Wooten is. And I realize that many of our listeners probably don't. Mm-hmm. But the ones, who, everybody else who does know you. So tell us about the guy that we don't, that is below that surface of what you do. Sure. And, and I'll start with something that my parents said. First, I'm the youngest of five boys. Um, born in 64. So I'm the youngest. So I think my oldest brother's eight years older. So he was maybe born in 56. Uh, my parents born in like maybe the thirties, mm. uh, knew what five black boys were facing. Mm. And, 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 you know, I don't really mean to steer the conversation in this direction, but you know, just to be s- straightforward, that's what we're on. My, my parents knew what we were facing. Because yeah. they knew what they had been through. Yeah. And, and, and to bring it to the present one more time, we think we have it hard right now. Right? We're, we have to stay at home 
and we and we complain about staying at home on the internet you know in a nice home with food to eat watch netflix and and all i gotta do is stay at home and if i go out wear a mask and this is tough yeah. <laughs> and, and and I'll, and I'll say that with a side note i know it is really tough for some people because not everybody does have a home and know where food's coming from and and people are dying right next to them i've had relatives first cousins friends sick either sick or 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 dead you know so Ooh. i know it is real of course but it's not what our parents and their parents went through and and my parents knew what we were facing. My dad fought in the Korean War during a heavy racist time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he, I mean, he told us he would literally fight on the ground in Korea and do really, really well and all that stuff. And their platoon or whatever it was called would come back and they'd stand up and get medals. And the sergeant would come in, you get a medal, you get a medal. Then they get to the black guy, my dad, you don't get one. Go to the next guy, you get a medal. And, and you just got to stand there and, and take it. And this is just the way it was. And then the war's over, you come home and you still can't even eat in the restaurant. You know, so so now they have uh, a kid, kids, boys. Mm -hmm. I think, I think my brother Reggie was born just at late enough to miss the draft. Right. So when my brothers found music, my parents, and especially my dad, he made sure we were able to keep it. Mm. In other words, us five boys never even mowed a lawn because dad had heard a story about a kid mowing a lawn. You know, again, back then, these push mowers, you got to put yeah. your weight into it. Somebody slipped and cut their hand or cut their foot. Dad said, this is not happening to my boys. They're going to play music. So... We started playing music when I was born. My brothers knew I was the bass player because that's what they needed. <laughs> they had all the other instruments. Oh, congratulations, Mr. And Mrs. Wooten. What have you had? A bass player. Exactly. Not <laughs> <laughs> a boy, a bass player. <laughs> so a big part of me is a bass player. That is really kind of who sure. I am. I was literally. Stems on your head at birth. <laughs> literally, literally born into the role. They were already playing, my brothers. But growing up playing it, and, and we were very successful as young kids. We were, was on a major tour when I was yeah, five. I want to talk about that tour in a minute. Yeah, so we were doing it. But the real thing was my mom would say, what does the world need with just another good musician? Mm. She says, we have plenty. She said, what the world needs are good people. Mm -hmm. And so there were phrases we had to memorize about character. Uh, my three older brothers had to write speeches, learn how to recite them, and enter into competitions and recite these powerful speeches. My parents wanted to make sure we could talk, that we knew who we were. We had to learn to type. We had to be good writers. We had to be upstanding humans because the country wasn't going to stand for us. Or no, let me change that. The country might not stand for it because they hadn't so far. Wow. So we had literally had to know who we are 
my parent would say, you know, well, you, yeah, you play music. Anyone who does it that well is going to be good. I mean, anyone who does it that much, as much as you boys play, of course you're going to be good. That doesn't impress me. She says, but what does being good on your instrument have to do with me? Meaning, how does that going to make me better, the world better? And so these are things I heard when I was in single digits. So I knew that playing bass was just something to do. And yes, you can reach people with it, right? But so can a bullet. Yes. Right? So if I have this bullet called music, it should make the world better. If I'm putting all this energy, effort, and my parents' money and their time, the world needs to be better from it, not just me. That so that's why it's easy for me to say, I'm not a musician. A musician is what I do. Mm -hmm. But behind that, my parents made sure that there was a man behind that, a human being that knows who he is. And that's I'm that, still working on that because, you know, change is in, inevitable. And I have to improve upon that. And because life is changing, especially right now, who I was then, does that mean that's who I am now? So that's a always, always an endeavor for all of us is to know who we are. That is fascinating because again, we, I, I, you know, we as humans, we tend to say who we are in the context of what we do, but that's not who we are. Right. But it's fascinating just to sort of slip back there because, um, you know, there's a lot of talk around racism right now. My inspiration to be a speaker was Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. The day he was shot, I walked into the living room and saw my mom crying and asked her why she was crying. And she said, he's dead and pointed at the TV. And it was a guy I didn't recognize and found out was Martin Luther King and mm -hmm. became fascinated with that level of influence that this black man on the other side of the world, as far as I was concerned as a kid, um, and, and no less a black Christian minister on the other side of the world could influence a uh, white Jewish woman living in a ghetto and make my mom cry was pretty profound to me. Wow. You know, and again, th that your parents trained you all to be orators as well as musicians and to be able to write and to speak. And it's interesting to me in the face of what we were in right now, that you know these your parents would have grown up in a time that where where racism was just the way it was i mean you know i've talked about normal a lot with people and saying like stop saying normal normal isn't healthy normal's just whatever we accept and it's terrible a lot of the time mm -hmm. and you know racism was normal and it's disgusting and at the same time for your people like your parents, there wasn't even a, a right to it. I mean, you know, the, the fact that slaves were freed, it was, you know, people talk about the freedom of slaves. I always think, oh my God, that looks like such an understatement, <laughs> right? Because people are not free today, right. right? I mean, and I'm not talking about human trafficking, which is a whole other subject, but I'm talking about equal rights between men and women, and not even just races, but you know, genders, it's right. insane. So that you had these parents who had that moral fortitude. And it's interesting because in the intro I said, 
Can music save your moral soul? It's very interesting in alignment with what your parents said. Absolutely. And they made, they made sure of it, that we used it in the right way. Because music uh, can be a tool. Yeah. You know, it, it can be whatever you want it to be. You can preach with it. You can teach from it. You can use it as your religion, as your savior, you know, to get away. But it can be a tool because whenever we play, anyone who shows up came to listen to whatever we say. Yeah. Right? People didn't come to disagree with us at a concert. Everyone in the audience is there. They've already previously agreed with you. And, 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 and the people standing next to them, they don't care about their color of their skin, who they voted for, who they pray to, how much money they make. It's a great equalizer. It's a great equalizer. And they are there to listen to what we say. My brothers told me when I was young, it's called entertainment, but we are entering into attainment, right? Oh, there's more to the word. Yeah. And the audience helps us with that, but we help them with that. It's a unity, right? We are playing yeah. together. I was never playing for them or to them, but we are playing together, having a dialogue, a conversation, uh, a moment. That's but, a very interesting way of thinking about it. It's yeah. an emotional conversation. Yes. You are, because I've said before that music is a fascinating, I think music and, and art in all mm -hmm. of its forms. And I wrote a big piece around this recently that I think that the world is changed by artists mm -hmm. because, because artists say things that no one else will say. There's a sure. conversation that is had in, in the in the paint on the canvas that he that is evocative to the to the viewer to to the person taking it in and evokes emotion in in me the viewer and in me the artist and that there yeah. is a communion a spiritual um resonance of communion between the two and it's the same with music and as you said when i stand next to this person who doesn't look like me Right. Watching that artist on stage perform, I look over and I smile at this person because that music has evoked a union, has evoked a communion, has evoked a relationship between me and that person I don't know. Yes. That this is the vehicle of that conversation is so amazing and so beautiful. One of the reasons I love music. Yeah. And, and you said something uh, great is that we, we can say artists, not just musicians, comedians, yeah, it's painters, art. whatever, can say things that other people can't say, but we can also say things that people are saying, but say it in a way that you will willingly listen to. Mm -hmm. And that's power. Yeah. I mean, I think that I was talking with a friend of mine uh, last week and we were talking about like, he is somebody who has really struggled with emotion, mm -hmm. really struggled with having uh, the safety of intimacy. Mm -hmm. A man who's been married for many, many years, you know, in the work that he and I have done together, he realized and discovered that he had never been intimate in his life because intimacy wasn't safe. But he was, he, he sent me um, these tracks from an album that he loves. And I said, tell me why we were talking about music. And I said, tell me why. And he said, because this songwriter and this piece of music 
are statements about how it was like for me. And he sent me the lyric with his handwritten notes next to it. Mm. And his handwritten notes were, I learned this from Dove. And, and, and this is what I was pretending to be. And, and, and it was all there. And I said, you know what blows my mind about music and about, particularly about lyric? And he goes, well, I said, the ability to convey such a complex thing in 120 to 150 words is insane. And then if you put that, so taking, for example, Bernie Tolpin and Elton John. Bernie Tolpin is an amazing lyricist and writes incredible lyric. But the music that Elton John puts to it, mm -hmm. and quite intuitively, like that combination is so evocative in any direction that it goes. I mean, it's like, I totally understand that concept of, for me anyway, of um, that music is this universal language. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up, you know, because you, you said something in there, which is interesting to me, because, of course, the, there was, for those of us who are old enough to remember it, there was a band in the late 80s, early 90s called the Ministry of Sound. And you talked about music can be a religion. Um, did you grow up in a religious environment? Yes, but we weren't forced into it. And oh. in, in other words, uh, we grew up pretty much on military basis. That's why I was born in Idaho. Right. Boise, Idaho, I think it was an Air Force base there. My dad was moving around. Um, but my parents grew up primitive Baptists in North Carolina, in the mm -hmm. deep south, in the hills. There were no instruments even allowed into the, in the church, just voices. Oh, right. Purity of, of the voice. So when we traveled and lived in you know, uh, Hawaii, Idaho, they were in Ohio before that. My parents couldn't find the churches that they felt comfortable. I'll leave it at that. They, that they sure. felt comfortable in. So our religion or our church was mostly at home. Mm. But we also learned that religion and church was wherever you were. You're, you're the church. Yeah. I shouldn't have to go over to this building once a week to feel this energy. You should learn to carry it with, with you. So my parents were more about that. So most of what I learned about religion came from home and my parents and, and then your own study because my parents were smart in ways that they, they would make you think about every action. If I was bad, you know, my parents were spankers, so I got spankings, but the, that was the easy part. The hard part was having to sit with my mom or dad as they talked to me through my actions and make me live the actions that I was ready to do if they hadn't stopped me and to shape my way of thinking. So they future paced your behavior. Oh, totally. A hundred. Fantastic. Totally. So they would say, you know, when this leads to this, this leads to that. Is that where you want to go? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. What would have happened if you had actually hit that guy with a baseball bat? Right? So he, he, he'd have to go to the hospital. So now his parents don't have their son. Right? Someone would probably come and have to get you some authorities because you did a bad thing. So now your parents might be without their son. You really want to hurt this guy 
which is going to hurt his family, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is that really want to do that just because you're mad? Right? Is that worth, you know, and, I, and I'm like tears in my eyes, nine years old and blah, 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 blah. But he, picked on me. he picked on me. Well, life is always going to pick on you. Right? And you can't, you know, it, oh, man, yeah. So, that is, that is stop. so, so powerful. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, and I can only, I can only really see it for its worth now. Sure. Back then, it's just what it was. I didn't yeah. always like it. But I see it now that I have four kids. And I have a, you know, my youngest son is as hard as he hard headed as I was. You know, the youngest, everyone's telling you what to do. You want to be grown and make your own decisions, but you're not. Right. You know, so I, I had a temper. I was hard headed. But I had six parents, you know, mom and dad and four brothers. And and even more than disappointing my parents, I think it's accurate to say it was if I disappointed my brothers, mm. I felt the worst, you know, because, I mean, they were my, they let me hang with them all the time. They never treated me as the little kid. If they were outside in the street playing basketball, touch football, I was on the team. Wow. You know, we grew up in nightclubs. I was there, you know, and, and they would always lift me up the highest. They still do it. That's why most people know about me. Mm. But where they're the ones, like my brother Reggie, the oldest one that taught me, he's the master. And he teaches so many musicians, I could name their names and you'd go, wow, he taught them too. But he sits in the back, smiles, lets you get the credit. They've always lifted baby brother up, right? And so I owe it all to them. And now that I have kids, four, it's allowed me to see what they were doing for me. Mm -hmm. I can see it a lot clearer now. So it's hard for me to talk about anything without pointing back at my brothers and my parents. That's amazing. We got to take a little break and then we're going to take a minute, a minute here and then we'll come right back. I hope you'll come back to us in part two of this interview with the incomparable Victor Wooten. Stay tuned.